Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin. This is session number 39. Alright everybody, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Today we're back to the one-on-one interview, and our featured guest is Matthew Glanfield. He's the co-owner of a popular YouTube channel known as Mini Wargaming, uh, the links for which you can find in the show notes down below. Actually, I recorded this episode quite a while ago, back when I was still on hiatus, so uh, this particular episode has been in my back pocket for a while, and I'm pretty excited to get it out there and for you guys to hear about how Matthew turned his store into a YouTube channel, into a media company, essentially. So um, it's it's a really interesting story. And Matt's got a lot of tips for those who are interested in following his similar path. So I'm just going to let Matt get started and start telling you how he did it. So let's jump in. All right. Well, I'm actually the co-owner. I I own 50% of the business with with Dave, who also co-owns the other 50%. We both grew up together since we were teenagers. We actually were in gaming together, role-playing our very first tabletop miniature game was Battletech. Uh, that's how mm. we got into it from the beginning. We didn't even realize we were getting into miniature wargaming at the time. We just, I remember walking into a store and I saw Battletech on the shelf and I was like 13 or 14 at the time and I knew I wanted it. And so we, we hung out a lot as, as teenagers and so we played that. We were into a lot of role-playing games as well and just general gaming. We, we just enjoyed it. And so as we, we, we grew out of that, and then as adults, I one day walked into a games workshop in a mall and discovered Warhammer. Wasn't that interested in Warhammer, but I got into the Lord of the Rings line because uh, my wife and I are both huge Lord of the Rings fans. So when we saw those miniatures and, and that hobby, that got me really interested. So that was kind of the starter into it. And then, uh, then I got Dave into it as well because uh, I needed somebody to play against. And I didn't really know anybody else who played it. And then just a few months later, Dave approached me and wanted to start a business together. We both had our own businesses at the time in different areas, but he just uh, he wanted to do something different. And so we both loved miniature wargaming. I was big into internet marketing back then. And so, and YouTube was a new thing. Uh, video, just being able to put videos online was still relatively new. And so, and e-commerce was a big thing back then too. Still is, but I mean, it was an emerging market back then. So I saw an opportunity. I said, well, why don't we kind of take what we love to do with this? And uh, Dave loves acting and being on camera. And so it just made sense for him to to kind of be the face of the business and and, and be making the videos on YouTube. And then I would be more of the technical side because I'm a programmer so I can make the website and and focus on all of that and work on the e-commerce side. And we partnered together and started Mini Wargaming, which has evolved over the past eight years that we've been running it. But essentially that's how it started was the intent was to, to become super rich by having an online store <laughs> and a YouTube channel. Um, and, and that's, and it just kind of played into what we love to do. And that's what got us into Warhammer 40 K because we realized that, that uh, the majority of people weren't into Lord of the Rings, they were into 40 K. And so that, that kind of pushed us to start playing. And even though I wasn't super interested at the time and now I love it. Now it's my, favorite miniature war games so that worked out really nice for us so that's how we all got, that's how we got started about eight years ago uh, leading up to that whole point sounds like a pretty uh, pretty ideal partnership yeah well we very complimentary, complimentary. yeah yes yeah he's he's definitely more on the creative and artistic side 
and I'm more on the logistics, that kind of side, like the the day to day operations. And so there's there's some overlap in what we're good at, but we both kind of have our our strengths. Like I eventually joined in starting to make videos because we realized that was a big part, and he eventually joined in and, and helped manage parts of the business. But we still both both definitely have strengths on usually opposite ends of the spectrum. Okay. And uh, before you got started with the YouTube channel, you were also a, a, a local store owner. Uh, no, actually. Or is it at the same time? The, well, we had to start the store because most of the distributors who sell miniature wargaming-related stuff or board games or whatever, including Games Workshop, won't let you sell just online. Yeah. They require you to have a brick-and-mortar store. Um, and and, and I, I know where that reasoning comes from. This is shortly after the the whole dot com bubble burst, where you know back in well this would have been like two thousand seven I guess, or so it was a few years after that. So there was still this mentality that the internet was just a fad and it's just going to take away sales and it's going to kind of ruin the hobby. And so they had that mentality that you you had to have the local presence, um, and then if you wanted to you could have an online store, but they really didn't like that. Uh, they at this point, Games Workshop had already not allowed U.S. retailers to sell online, uh, but they hadn't yet done that in Canada or anywhere else in the world because most countries the laws won't let you do that kind of thing. Um, so, so we had to start the local store. So that's how the store and gaming club in Welland got open. So we started at the uh, same okay. time. Okay. So what changed? Well, year it took us. Several years to really make the business profitable, which is normal for a new business. Yeah. Uh, but still, not it being a totally new territory, there were several times in the first couple of years where I wanted to throw in the towel and be like, you know, this isn't really working. But Dave really wanted to make it work, so he he pushed for that. Uh, and thankfully, we both had income sources elsewhere to allow us to survive in the meantime. And so then over time, the store picked up and got more and more customers and the revenue increased and we were able to expand and get a warehouse and more and more inventory and employees and everything else like that. And at the same time, our the video end of things was taking off and our YouTube channel was growing. And about two or three years into the business, I had the idea just as a secondary income source for the business was to start a membership site where you know people would pay a monthly fee. And in this case, it started off as to see our videos early. They, they would see our videos before everybody else. So they'd help support us, and then they'd see our videos early. So this was before things like Patreon and Kickstarter and all these other things were, were normal. And YouTube revenue, which still isn't that great, back then it was even worse. Because hmm. like, it wasn't as popular as it is now, so it didn't attract the big advertisers. So it didn't have all the advertising revenue that it has now. And so we were looking for that. So we started that kind of on the side. And over time, it was growing and growing and growing. And eventually, we changed it. So it was no longer just seeing our videos early. We actually, it was big enough that we could you know, afford to make videos just for our members. So they became an exclusive membership site where we have some of our videos go out for free and some of them go into the vault. At the same time, our store was growing, but so was all the expenses for it. Because as we grow, the thing with uh, miniature wargaming, unlike most retail stores, is that you don't have rotating stock. You have core stuff and then everything else. And you have very little... In a clothing store, you have seasonal stock. So you, you buy your summer clothes, and then at the end of that season, you clear it. And so you kind of maintain a certain level of inventory, how much, how much it's worth. 
and you can rotate it and keep it new. With miniature wargaming, you always have to grow it. As new stuff comes out, you've got to keep all the old stuff on the shelf, and you've got to put the new stuff. It's very rare that a, 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 a kit gets redone, and it's most likely that you're just getting new stuff. And so all the money we were making was just going back into buying more and more inventory, which maybe in the long run would have worked. But uh, at the same time, we had this other side of our business that was growing, but we couldn't put money into it as much as we wanted to because all our money was being pulled into the store. So while technically the store was profitable, cash flow wise, it was tough. It was tough to manage it to make it really work. And so I was starting to think that maybe we should switch and that it would be nice to close down the store. But the problem is it was supplying profits and the, the vault side of things wasn't high enough yet that it would actually cover all of our expenses, like our lease and all of our employees and our salaries and utilities and everything else. So it was it just kind of kept me from doing it, knowing that if I just shut down the store, we wouldn't have enough money to run the business. And so we'd be really relying on growing the vault. And then if that didn't work, then we'd be out of business. Mm-hmm. But the big motivator, and I'm kind of thankful this happened, is then Games Workshop finally found a way, whether, I don't know if they legally did it or if they just kind of did it, where they updated our trade agreement saying that you could no longer sell online in Canada. And um, that was the final nail in the coffin. So we were already thinking about it, but that the fact that the majority of our sales online were through Games Workshop, the Games Workshop product line, and then they all of a sudden said, no, you can't do it online anymore. We could still do mail order or by phone, but we knew that the majority of our customers would go off and find somewhere else to purchase because it's just too much of a hassle to buy through email and on phone. Like, who does that anymore, really? Yeah, that's yeah. way too old school. Yeah, that's, that's, it's a, you, you kind of see the old mentality that Games Workshop had in being afraid of the internet that's going to ruin the hobby when really it's a huge tool for growing the hobby. But uh, that gave us a reason. And it really, it was stressful because of all these things I'm saying that the vault still wasn't big enough, but it gave a really good marketing story. So we were able to go to the public, go to... Our, everybody who was already watching us and basically say, hey, in everything I just basically told you, you know, we've been, you know, the store has been doing well, but there's a lot of money in it and we want to put more money to our videos. And now Games Workshop's come up with this policy that we can't sell online. So we've decided to close down our store. And so we're going to have a big sale to clear out all our inventory. And then furthermore, you know, we're going to be focusing on the vault. But in order for that to work and for us not to go to business in the next six months, we need more vault members. And so then we had like this giveaway where we had a special, you know, you could get all this free content by joining the vault within the next week. Uh, and thankfully, the, the community really came to our help. And we more than doubled the size of our vault within that one week. And so what was already doing well, all of a sudden, by doubling it pretty much, brought us to the point where we it was big enough to cover all of our expenses and then over the following months it grew even further and overtook that so then it be, actually became profitable and allowed us to expand to where we now have several employees who make videos exclusively full-time and we have a support staff that includes a video editor and a web developer and our customer support and office admin and has allowed us to to, to grow it just off of the vault or at least the majority of our revenues from the vault so the the store had to shut down, but but in the end, it really was a was a boon for our business. Yeah, so it worked out fairly well. Yeah, cool. No, I'd say so. It was it was, it was stressful at the time, but yeah, hindsight, it was great. And so the content in the the vault that you created is just uh, videos of what? What were you providing that people were we, paying for? 
Well, we still well, it's essentially with the same thing, except just now we just do more of it. Uh, we do videos about miniature wargaming. Battle reports is a big part, or we just film games of 40k, Fantasy, Infinity, X-wing, War Machine, um, and we post those. About half of our content goes out for free, and then there's essentially if you see a 40k battle report go out on YouTube, there will be a link to another 40k battle report in the vault. Or we'll do reviews on on a certain army, and then in the vault there will be some small battle reports to show off the new stuff. And we also have talk show like stuff and um, lots of painted tutorials. We have hundreds of painted tutorials in our mini wargaming vault. We have a, a guy who all he does is makes painted tutorials uh, full time. That's that's his job for the past few years. So he's we've amassed a library of hundreds of of, of painting tutorials in there for people who want to to get better at painting. So there's thousands of videos in the vault, battle reports, painting tutorials. We do behind the scenes so they can kind of see how the, how we work and everything that's going on. Um, and yeah, essentially it just kind of turned into a production company. We even have several studios that we've built to actually look like sets to to make all of our, our videos in. Cool. So how did you get into the the idea of producing Warhammer and Infinity and War Machine content? Like... Uh... Like, why did that come about to the point where, like, it's a viable business model? Well, it's, I think we kind of lucked out, to be honest, because back when we started, YouTube was, it's, it's weird to think, but, you know, YouTube was still pretty new. It had just not too long before that been purchased by Google for several billion dollars. Yeah. And it was, you know, we were still filming in 240p and, you know, <laughs> nice, nice, low quality. But uh, it was always going to be part of our strategy. The, the idea was that we'd make videos that would build an audience, and then we would make money off of that audience by directing them to our store where they would buy product. And of course, that, and that worked to a certain degree, except everything else that I told you already. Yeah, yeah. And so that, that was always the intent. The, the business model at the beginning was there would be some search engine optimization and all your normal traffic sources for the store. But then we'd really focus on the video marketing side just to be to kind of bring something new to the table. Because there are already e-commerce stores out there selling miniature wargaming stuff. And but their marketing strategies were different. They didn't use social media. Um, they just did the typical stuff where they'd advertise through banners or whatever, or try to, you know, get high in the search engine rankings, however they would do that. Uh, and so we wanted to do something unique and kind of use Dave's desire to make videos he's he's always wanted to be an actor and so now he gets a chance to to do that um, by making the video so that was that that was a big motivator in it at first i wasn't even going to be in videos my, my job was always going to be behind the scenes uh, that didn't, it didn't take very long for that to change when we realized how important it was to make more videos but but yeah that's how that's how it evolved at the beginning what was the uh, the inflection point for you what what changed that made you realize that videos were the way to go it kind of happened a bit by bit when we when we started. It in a, in a way, it kind of got a little addicting because we'd watch our subscribers go up, and so mm. we would start looking at all the statistics and see like which videos got more subscribers. And so we did a lot of experimenting. If you look back at our first maybe fifty to hundred videos, uh, they're they're pretty bad, because, you know, eight years ago and all, but. But there's, there, there's a huge variety of what we would make. We made all sorts of weird stuff. And we're just trying to, we, we were trying to see what worked. Because back then, I think there was two YouTubers that had more than a million 
No, it wasn't even. I don't even think anybody had more than a million subscribers yet. But like Smosh and Freddy, if you remember them at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, Smosh is still around. Freddy's not. But uh, they were the big YouTubers back then. And so we saw that what was popular on YouTube was you know, these two guys acting like, well, like, like them <laughs> and Freddie. And I was like, okay, so people want short comedic videos. And so we tried to do that kind of stuff. And then just while we were doing it, there was some, there were some other people who had miniature wargaming YouTube channels, yeah. but they're all small. They had like hundreds of subscribers or the biggest one had 2000 subscribers. And, and some of them were doing battle reports. And so that gave us the idea to try to do battle reports. And then over time, when we look back on our statistics, we realized that our battle reports did really well. They got a lot of views and a lot of comments. So we started doing more of those. And so it was kind of just this, like the whole spaghetti strategy where you just throw everything against the wall and you see what sticks. So we had done like terrain tutorials, painting tutorials, showcasing, unboxing, battle reports, short films, and just like little comedy sketches, whatever, whatever we could come up with. And then we found what was working and realized that we just wanted to make more of it. So that required more manpower and we didn't have the money to hire more video producers back then. So it just made sense that when I had time to do it, it wasn't, it wasn't a full-time job to do all the stuff that I was doing. So it just made sense for me to start helping out with making videos as well. I know it's changed over the years, obviously, but what, uh, what are the most effective videos right now for you? What's, what grows your YouTube subscriber, subscriber base the best right now? It's hard to say. It's, it's, you need a variety is really what it is. I would have, if you had asked me that question a year ago, I would have said battle reports, okay. specifically narrative campaigns. Like we do a, basically a series of battle reports that tell a story. Uh, that definitely still, it's the, it's, it's the, battle reports is still our bread and butter. It's what we produce the most of. But um, we've started now doing more things like reviews where new stuff will come out and we'll make videos about it. And those, of course get a lot of views and subscribers because it's new. It's, it's the new stuff. It's not just like more of the same. It's, it's new stuff. So mm -hmm. we've, been, we've been doing a lot of experimenting over the past while of trying out different kinds of videos. And one thing I've been noticing is there's certain types of videos that do well, but also what does well is kind of changing what you're doing. That you just can't keep you, something that worked two years ago or a year ago won't necessarily work as well as it does as it did before. So you have to find new ways to increase your production value of stuff you're already doing and bring in new types of contents to keep it fresh. So, so it's, it's really a game of starting where, you know, is most popular. I'd say if anybody's going to start a channel, they should start with reviews and battle reports. And then once they establish themselves, they can start to experiment with different kinds of content that, and, and because there's always, there's always something new to discover. It's still a very new industry. The whole, web marketing and video marketing is still very very new like eight years is not a long time in in the in a, in a, when you think about markets being created and expanding and wherever they end up going eight years is just that's just a beginning so who knows what youtube will look like 10 years from now or what what people want to watch so it's just you constantly have to experiment and see what works absolutely and would you recommend for existing stores existing store owners to kind of pursue this video content strategy that you've done now would that would still work right now yeah definitely now there there'd be some caveats like if i were if i had a successful local store okay and i wanted to expand it like i think it's a requirement now to have an online store if you if you're running a local store you can't ignore the internet any longer you need to make it available even even just for your local customers 
especially with something like a miniature wargaming, there's too many products to stock. You just can't stock everything. It's impossible. You'd have to be in a, a dense urban area with a huge store, which you're not going to get with a miniature wargaming store. Even the, the big miniature wargaming stores are still small stores in comparison to other markets out there. You have to you have to yeah. broaden into other stuff like board games and and Magic the Gathering and then toys or whatever if you really want to just just be a local store and be really successful. And then you still have to have a good population density on top of that. So you need the online component to be able to better serve your local market so that they can just order online and pick up locally or you can even ship and also gives them access to products that you don't have in stock and so then they can get notified when their order is in and they can come and pick it up from the store so you need you need the online presence there at least now whether you need to use youtube for that i wouldn't say it's a requirement it's it's more just because you have to invest a lot of time into making the videos as well you can't just throw up some lackluster videos and think that that's going to do anything like it takes a lot of production time. like we like i was saying we have um three four five six full-time content producers and then we have four full-time support staff to make this happen so it takes that's a lot of money it's yeah. a lot of money in payroll alone never mind the lease of having all the studios and the amount of miniatures we purchase every month because we need to keep current and what we're showing in our videos, like huge overhead expenses. And so you, you kind of have to, you have to either dive headlong into it and do it right or not really do it at all. But that doesn't mean you can't use the internet. Like you should definitely, every store should have a website. That's not just a website that tells you how to get to their store, but actually has a shopping cart. Now you can't sell if you're in the United States or Canada, you can't sell games workshop products on there, but you can sell the rest of your products and then tell people that they can email you anything they want to add on for the Games Workshop stuff. But you, you need the online part, and then you need to jump into the social media aspect of it. You need a Facebook page for a store. Um, you know, things like Twitter, Instagram, all those other ones you can see as optional, but if, you, if you're willing to put the time into them, they can enhance your business as well. But video marketing by far would be the most cost-intensive aspect of adding it on. So I don't know, I can't say because I haven't done it myself successfully, whether that would be worth it to a successful local store. I know that's how we built our store, but in the end, like I said, we had to shut it down because it ended up that the videos themselves were making us more money than the videos pointing people to the store. Mm -hmm. So it just, it just made sense for us to shut down the one and do the other. But in a perfect world, we would have had the money to continue the store and to do our vault. Like I hope one day to actually open up a new store and to, to try it again. But you know, having the, the, the money and the cash flow to back it up so that I can spend the several years it'll take to really build it up and do it right. Whereas before we were just kind of we were in a new business mode where we were always strapped for cash and and just trying to do the exact thing that works. And so it required us to pick one or the other. But the, the it was profitable. The store was profitable. It just wasn't cash flow wise wasn't working so we had to shut it down so so to answer your question i don't know if i'd recommend video marketing strongly for a store but definitely definitely you want to be in the social media aspect you want to have an online presence you want to have an online shopping cart for your stuff that adds that adds some expense but i think that the 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 the, the return on that is more than worth it 
and that way you're not at odds either because uh, there are some and this i don't know if this is common or not there are some local retailers who don't like people selling online because they think it's taken away from their business and if yeah. they're not joining in then they're right but that's just like shunning any other form of marketing and saying well i don't want to have to market through that venue i just want to be able to do it the way i've always done it but it, you can't you have to evolve and the internet is definitely not it's no longer a bubble uh, we had the bubble it burst and now it's kind of found where it's supposed to be and, and, and that where it's supposed to be right now is it's growing and there's just there's a big audience out there waiting to buy products and they sometimes want the local store experience and often they want the convenience of not buying it locally so that's important for you to be able to offer that up and not just fall behind and hope that companies like games workshop will make policies to punish people using the new ways of marketing I doubt uh, that policy would expand to the rest of the gaming industry. That seems a little bit uh, archaic. It does. It really does, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And but, then it's, but it's funny, though, because I'm, I'm happy it happened. Because, like I said, if, we, if you see our story in hindsight, it was great. If we had just decided to shut down our store and we're like, eh, it's not really working for us. I don't know if we would have doubled our vault membership within a week. Because it wouldn't have been as good a story. It, it, there wasn't as much of a marketing story behind it. Yeah, um, it, it turned out to be quite the boon for you. Yes, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm happy they did it, but at the same time, I'm You're disappointed. Kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's, it's, you can't think that way. You can't be like, no, you can't sell online because it's, it's hurting the hobby. It's like, no, if you actually look at our business, the number of people we've gotten into the hobby or more into the hobby far outweighs anybody that's, that, that is costing the hobby. And so it's just, it's just, yeah, it's an archaic way of looking at it. But I, I get why it happened because if you look at the CEO who was the, not the one that's there now, but the one who was there all along, he lived through the retail era. That's how he grew the business. Yeah. And he was really good at that. Like really good at that. He grew the business to what it was now through retail. And then the internet comes along and it goes through this whole dot-com bubble and burst. And that's what he sees. He experiences that. And so he just sees it as what it looked like, which was one big fad that really was just a flash in the pan. And so that mentality has taken a long time. And now you can start to see that mentality going away as they, but it's, you know, it's like 10 years later than it should have been. But uh, yeah, eventually they'll catch up, I hope. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully they'll uh, realize maybe their error, that, uh, yeah. that that original decision was kind of based in fear. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. Yeah, I teeter on both sides. I understand why a company might want to restrict online sales because if the hobby is played face to face like wargaming is if there's no if there were no stores selling it if like the local store experience was gone the game would suffer if there were hundreds and hundreds of online retailers and you could buy it anywhere you wanted on any website you wanted but there were no places to play it it would be a problem yes. like the game would definitely suffer so i can see why he wouldn't uh, or why games workshop as a company wouldn't want you know this to be the only way to acquire their product or something like that. But at the same time, you, the fact that they're like, oh, well, you just shutting it down, just chopping it right off seems a bit uh, extreme for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely different ways to look at it. For in they're a UK company. And this, this conversation is turning into more talking about Games Workshop, but if just you can do it for another minute or two. They're a UK yeah. company. In the, in the UK, population is all together. And so for them, there's always a local Games Workshop. But... When you come over to North America, and our population, population density is, is like one and a half per kilometer or something like that. That we have exactly, and so that there's so much more people. There's so many more people who aren't in a big city, who don't have a local store, than who are, 
And so by having the online part of it, you're supporting a lot of them. And, and that's a big deal because they need somewhere to be able to go. And so then all of a sudden you, and, and also not everybody games, not everybody plays the game. Like a lot of people, I like to collect it. I'm not going to, yeah. I, I still think a lot of people play, but uh, a lot of them are collectors as well. And then through the online as well, like uh, people watch our videos and a lot of comments are, you know, I like to watch your videos because I don't get to play as often as I'd like. And so I watch the videos instead. But that makes them want to collect, even if they're not playing. And so mm-hmm. it, it it creates a whole other market that 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 is serviceable. And so that's it's it's important to kind of see that. Now it's hard though when you're a local retailer because that's what we're really talking about here. We're not yeah. talking about being a games workshop. We're talking about running a local store. When you're a local retailer, you don't have control over the market. You like like the like Games Workshop has a lot of control over how they sell their product and how they affect retailers. But as a local retailer, you kind of have to be willing to react to what happens in the marketplace. And you have to make sure that you're on top of it, that you don't just, that you're not five or 10 years behind because it can cost you your business to be five or 10 years behind. Like Games Workshop Absolutely. can get away with They can get away with it because they're the only people who sell 40K models. If, if, if you want to buy something that's 40K, well, eventually that money's going to get back to Games Workshop, whether you, no matter where you bought it from. Uh, even if you buy it used, because most likely the guy that sold it to you used is selling it to buy other ones. So it's just yeah. the, the money will always get to them. Whereas if you're a local retailer and you don't adapt to these new things, then people will go elsewhere and none of that money makes it to you. And so you have to be able to adapt. And it's not just about going online. It's also adapting to you know the games people are playing, be willing to expand into whatever you need to do in order to survive. But yeah, the, the reacting by with fear and 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 that kind of thing is just not the answer. It's you, you adapt to new technologies, uh, whatever they happen to be. Yeah, and business is a lot like life. That if you don't adapt, you end up dying off. So yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, your your statement about that uh, every game store should have a website, should have an e-commerce portion to its business. It's actually kind of a pretty bold statement because local game store entrepreneurs are kind of uh, tech phobic in some ways. <laughs> Yeah, I get that. We're pretty resistant to change. And I think it's just because we've been doing the the retail thing for so long, for years and years. It's just kind of like Games Workshop. You know, it's worked and people don't want to change. Yeah, but the problem is if you don't change, maybe you'll be okay. It all depends. You're you're kind of tossing the dice there in that, you know, you need to provide your customers with as many ways to purchase from you as possible. Now, when I say you have to make an online store, it doesn't mean you have to go and spend fifty, hundred thousand dollars to do that, or you have to have a full-time web developer to, to in order to maintain it. There, thankfully, the internet has evolved to the point where there's plenty of of ways to do it, not super expensive. It will increase costs. Don't get me wrong, but um, I think the payoff is definitely worth it. And, it, and I, I do agree, it's a bold statement. And there might be very, very few exceptions that could get away without it. But I think in the long run, it'll hurt your business not to to have that because our market is tech savvy. Uh, war gamers mm. typically are of the demographic that have smartphones and tablets and and like to shop online. They're not afraid. Like eight years ago, when we started our e commerce thing, people were afraid to use credit cards online. Yeah, like there was a large percentage of people that you had to do everything in your power to make them feel comfortable when they're on your website. You had to put all sorts of secure symbols and and trust watermarks and everything else to prove that when you give us your credit card, you are not going to lose your identity. (laughs) 
that you're not going to get charged tens of thousands of dollars fraudulently. Like you had to do everything you could do to assure them. Now that's still an issue. Online security, of course, is still there. But you know what? Our market probably doesn't usually think twice about entering their credit card on a website, even one that's not Amazon or eBay, even the smaller ones, as long as it doesn't look like it's fraudulent. They might. They probably won't even think about fraud. It probably won't even pass through their mind as they go through the checkout process. And so it's just changed so much. And and they're going to be. They're the ones that are going to be researching online. They're going to be looking for the best deals and everything else. And so if you're not there providing them with reasons to to buy from you, as well as all the typical things, of course. And you've probably talked about this in, in other ones, like talking about running good events and stocking the right product and setting up your store in the right way. All those typical things. All those things that are very important to do. You got to do those as well, of course. Yeah, they still have to be there. Yeah, yeah. You still have to have those core things. If you don't have good events, then they're not going to come to your store. And if they're not going to come to your store, then they won't feel any loyalty to buy from you or have any reason to buy from you. So you, you just have, yeah, you have to, you have to do that. I, I just, unless you're in a, a very population dense area, then you just can't get away not doing that anymore. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, loyalty specifically because I think that's kind of the primary reason a lot of retailers don't sell online is because they feel that I think the right now that they perceive their customers not to have a, a very high amount of loyalty that their customers will go to the Amazon or the eBay because that's a place where they can get a better price and they don't want to have to compete something without with the internet basically because their prices are locally based but they're still competing with it whether they have it or not. That's the problem. That's the thing they fail to realize anyways. Yeah. Or at least some just, people. Somebody, somebody could be in their store looking at a product. And if you see them looking at their phone, they're probably looking up alternate places to buy it. And so that's – if you're not one of those places, then you know, it's just that, – that's, that's the problem. Like they, they'll, they'll, they will use it whether or not you provide it or not. So you're missing out on customers if you don't provide that. Absolutely. All right, so let's, uh, let's do one final question. All right. You were going to plan on opening a store, you know, another replication of what you were doing before, and you had to do it today. Would you do anything different? Definitely. Um, the store that I want to open, see, the, the problem that we have, once again, is our location, that we don't have the population to support. Like maybe we could get away with a small store, but to support a larger store. Now, we have an advantage that a lot of other retailers don't have, and that is that we have the audience through our YouTube channel. Like We already have, uh, with our battle reports, most of our battle reports are filmed between an employee and a volunteer. Somebody volunteers to come in and play against us because they want to be in one of our battle reports. And we get people that travel from, it's actually quite common for people to travel from all over the world to come and be in one of our videos. We've gotten people from Australia, from Germany, from Europe, or from the UK, people from South America, Central America, and then all over Canada and the States that'll actually make a trip out here just to play for a few days in some of our battle reports. Nice. And which is tremendous. I, yeah, that's that's I, real I, cool. I, I still get blown away by the fact that, that that happens, that people like it enough that they want to, to actually make it a vacation to come here. And so we have a bit of an advantage there that we could kind of create a destination store that people would be willing to travel a little further from because we have the audience as well. And um, we also have the, the skills to kind of make the store look really nice, too. I don't mean just like the way it's set up, but I mean, uh, for example, our four studios, Dave actually constructed them. So he's got the woodworking and all the artistic skills. And like one of them looks like you're inside of a blacksmith. 
one of them looks like you're inside of a ruined building. One of them looks like you're inside of a, an orc-made tech shop. Cool. One of them looks like you're inside of a spaceship. And so you, you could you make it kind of this cool, almost, if for lack of a better explanation, like a Disneyland experience where mm-hmm. you're coming and you're, it's like a destination place. And so I think that would allow us to, to, to do better than we did before, really focusing on that aspect rather than just trying to, to, to serve the local population. But at the same time, of course, have all the events and the stock and everything else that is, that is important for it. So we'd, we'd focus a lot on that wow factor to get people coming from a further distance so that we're not just like a convenient place to go, but we're a place where people want to experience. So they want to, because ex- mm-hmm. this, this hobby is about experiencing. It's about seeing something cool and then wanting it. And so that's something that online shopping can never provide. It just doesn't do it. They can show you pictures all they want. But like, I remember I went to Warhammer World and when I, I took a trip to the UK and we went to the Warhammer World, the Games Workshop's um, headquarters, where they have all these dioramas. And I remember just, I just was so inspired. And I had seen pictures of some of those and they look cool on picture. But when I saw them in person, it was just, it was, it was actually a very overwhelming experience just to see how cool they were. And it made me want to do so much with the hobby. And so if I could really focus on that kind of, aspect of the the experience where they're not just walking in to see shelves of product but they're walking in and the environment around them inspires them and so that then puts them in an emotional mood to purchase of course because let's face it nine times out of ten purchases are an emotional uh decision and not a logical one uh, whether it's male or female in most markets that you're in and so and so that you've put them in that kind of environment and that mood and, it's, and then they're more likely to travel a longer distance, which opens us up to a larger population and theoretically then more likely to purchase from our store. This is all theory, of course, because of course. we haven't done it, but that's what I would want to try to do. And, and, and it's also just kind of a cool factor for us, too. This is a fun thing to do, yeah. uh, kind of like Walt Disney making his Disney World. I'm sure part of it was to make money, but I think it was more just kind of this fun thing for him to do with, with the business that they were creating. Uh, that's an excellent answer. Because as you were describing this uh, unique experience that uh, you wanted to create, or like even just you know, the idea of walking into Warhammer World, I kind of get like a little bit of a tingly sensation. <laughs> I feel like how nice that like like I feel like there's so much room for creating something really awesome. And like yeah, it's a little bit more upfront, but if you can do it, I think that's kind of that's the way to set yourself apart and do something really special. Yeah, and it's that's a thing like I said that the internet can't provide. Yeah, and that's what you got to do. If you're going to have a local store, then why why do people care? Why do they care to come to you? So you've got to provide something. And now local stores can provide the events and the gaming venue and that, of course. But with the emergence of things like uh, all these gaming mats that are being sold, that are all just they're 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 quite accessible price wise, and they roll up and they're really good uh, quality. All of a sudden, people can make more of these nice pieces of terrain in their basement and so you know you just there's more and more reasons that people don't need a store and so you've just gotta you've gotta fill in those gaps the things that they just won't get by playing with their friends in their basement absolutely i think that was a perfect answer and uh, i'd really i hope so (laughs) we'll find maybe we'll find out one day yeah maybe we will and if you do ever you know get back into a retail business i would love to come visit and it'd be great to come and say hi sure and uh yeah no i think Thank you very much for coming on the show and sharing all your insights of wisdom with us. Oh, no, <laughs> no problem. It's my pleasure. And if uh, listeners wanted to come and find you, wanted to see what you're working on, where can they go to, to uh, check you, can, you out? You can, 
you can either go to our website, miniwargaming.com, or you can just search for Mini Wargaming on YouTube and you'll find our channel there too. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Matthew, for coming on the show. No problem. All right, everybody. I want to thank you guys for checking out another episode of the Maniverse podcast. And I want to thank Matt specifically for coming on the show and sharing his story with us. Be sure to check out Matt and Dave's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash miniwargaming. And if you feel so inclined, I definitely recommend you go to miniwargaming.com and become members of The Vault. If you're interested in social media marketing and content creation like Matt described over the course of the show, you should check out the blog post, The Bulletproof Marketing Strategy for Game Stores in 2016. I talk about the uh, simple strategy for you to get online and get started using the internet to build your business. And you can find that post at maniversesaga.com slash bulletproof. All right, I want to thank you again for listening to the show and checking it out. And we will see you next time. <laughs>